Hey, everybody. You ready for the playoffs? Yeah, me too. This week on The Haber Show, I have something very special. We're going to zip around some playoff teams with NBC Sports' awesome reporters to give you the inside scoop on the keys to their team's postseason run. And if you haven't already, go download the My Teams app to get all of that exclusive info, especially if you live in the markets. With NBC Sports Warriors reporter Logan Murdoch, we're going to talk about DeMarcus Cousins and if he's ready for his playoff debut. With our Sixers reporter Serena Winters, we'll get into what it's like to cover Jimmy Butler and also talk about Ben Simmons' postseason redemption tour. With our Celtics insider Chris Forsberg, we'll try to get inside Kyrie Irving's brain and he'll tell us about an illuminating anecdote about Kyrie and Paulie D from the Jersey Shore. And lastly, we'll talk to Blazers reporter Jamie Hudson to figure out how exactly the Blazers keep winning without Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum and whether the Blazers are worried about McCollum's injury. Hint, Dame is awesome and he's hitting another gear. So remember, for more of these insights, go download the My Teams app and follow these super talented, super embedded reporters on Twitter. Without further ado, on to the Haber Show. All right, we have NBC Sports Bay Area, the Warriors reporter. I'm going to call him the insider because he knows so much inside and out of this Warriors team. How about that, Logan Murdoch? How about that? I just threw in the insider on you, and you might have just thought you were a reporter, but now you've graduated to the insider. <laughs> that works. That works. I was a little radio Ethan a little bit, man. I, I, liked, I liked how you intro me. That was cool. Thank you, man. Hey, you know what? I, th- I kind of felt like I had a little uh, Ethan Strauss in there um, in the yeah, intro. Yeah. Uh, that's that's not a good way to start. So, um, <laughs> hey, so, all right, you had a late night uh, because you're working, not because you went out, but the Warriors-Denver game where Jokic just got destroyed by DeMarcus Cousins. Cousins uh, may have been, you know, some theatrics of, of, you know, squinting to see where is Jokic on the other side. And I thought it was a statement game for the Warriors as if there is any statement game in the regular season for this championship team. Um, and I got to ask you, what is it? What is your uh, what has been your interpretation of Demarcus Cousins this season and how he's looked? Because last night it was incredible, but I also want to see if he can do this in playoff time because we've never seen him in the playoffs. Right, I, I think that it's it's been a um, it's been definitely been a work in progress. Uh, you know, he's played, he's had to. Uh, Steve Kerr calls it go through his training camp, and he had to uh, make sure that he is. He was right. Get his win back. Most most things that players go through when they're going through training camp, getting back into NBA shape, as a, and in addition to coming back from a, a catastrophic injury. You know, not many too many people come back from this. So it's been a work in progress. But he's been playing really really well over the last couple of uh, last couple of games over the last month. You know, he's he's been really active, and you saw that last night, and you also saw that in Houston. Um, when he did, that was kind of his breakout game earlier this month, and mm-hmm. I think he's getting right back on stride. And there was a lot of scary moments if you're the opposition last night. You know, he was just he was just dominant on the offensive end, and he played really well on defense. That's something that's really been uh, I don't know if that's been talked about much, but he's been playing really good on defense uh, the last few games, and that historically hasn't been a uh, Demarcus Cousins strong suit. But uh, it's a work in progress, and I think that he is progressing. Not back to his all-star level, but definitely somewhere somewhere close to that. So it, last year, per 36 minutes, he averaged 25, 13, 5 assists, and 58 true shooting percentage. This year, per 36, 
23, 11, 5, and 57 true shooting percentage. Logan, he's pretty much like box score stats. He's pretty much the same player as last year pre-Achilles injury. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's crazy because, like I said, no one comes back the same way. I mean, you could say uh, Dominique Wilkins, but no, and, and specifically in, the, in his prime, he's doing this. And this was something that, you know, he would say in the summertime, like, yo, I'm, I'm trying to get back. Like, I'm trying to get back to where I was. And you know, there, there was people who were like, nah, nah, you're not going to do that. This injury, is, and you're a big man, this is not going to happen. But he's dimple. He's playing really well. And, you know, he's trying to get that bag this summer in addition to a championship, and he's playing like that that kind of caliber player. And it's 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 fun to see at times too. It, all right, so you uh, you've been around this team. What is it like covering Boogie Cousins? Because he has got this reputation that he's a media killer. He's uh, he's insubordinate, or he's he's emotional and. He gets a bad rap, I feel like, with uh, with media types. But what has it like been for you in this situation covering Boogie? Uh, I, I, it's funny because I, I did cover him a little bit in, in SAC back in the day, just a little bit. But um, I, my interactions have been fine with him. I think that I'm not going to say. I think there has been times where he has done things that have been um, towards the media that have been, you know, detrimental to his to what to how he's perceived and I mean I'm sure he'd admit that and uh but I think the biggest thing with him is in in his mind everything is about loyalty to him and if you're not loyal if you're not seen as loyal or or straightforward to him he's gonna you know he's gonna lash out and that's I think that's the only way for better or worse like we're talking to somebody like he can't lie he can't say um he can't talk without saying his true intentions about every single thing. And that gets him um, in trouble a lot of the times. But I think that he can, if he can live with it, that's fine. But I, I think my interactions have been, I mean, and all in all have been fine with him. But I do think that the fact that he can't, he's going to always say what's on his mind is always going to ruffle some feathers. people. Is he part of the best lineup for them? Definitely. I think that, um, if I remember correctly, I know going into, uh, Going into last night's game, this team was 15 and three when all five All Stars play on the same team, and on the same uh, they start the same game. And I know there was some there was some hiccups going early on about the starts, but as of right now, he's 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 playing fine. I think the the biggest thing was trying to figure out how they were going to you know play him in that pick and roll coverage because his first game when he played against Boston a few months back. In Boston, he got played off the floor. They had to put Kevon Louie in. And I think he's gotten a lot better in his pick-and-roll coverage You because know, he, he recognized that people are going to target him. And I think that that's something that he uh, that he's worked on and he's played a lot better at. And you've seen over the last you know week and a half or two weeks that he's gotten better on the defensive end. So I think that um, you know he's they've been dominant with him starting alongside those four all-stars as expected. And, you know, if he can continue to do that and play at the level that he did, then I think he'll be fine. Also, what's noteworthy last night, he balled out in a game that Kevin Durant got ejected in. And he, you know, he, he did, he, uh, you know, definitely showed this is one. I think this was probably uh, this and the Houston game were probably the most important, you know, games of his time with the Warriors, as far as, you know, getting his confidence back and, you know, showing everybody that he can come back from this type of injury. In 241 minutes this season with Boogie in that starting five, they've been just plus 35. It's not a great 
number. Uh, it, for comparison, Looney at the five with that same four mm. all-stars is plus 119 this season in comparable minutes. And then Iggy, when Iguodala's at the five, they're gangbusters again, plus 123 yeah. in just 178 minutes. So since the all-star break, in 50 minutes on the floor, that Iguodala lineup, you know, the death lineup, so to speak, 171 yeah. to 103. So in basically a full full games worth of time, they're outscoring opponents 171 to 103, which just goes to show this is an embarrassment of riches that like if the whole boogie thing does not work out, they have like two levers here with Loon Dog <laughs> as uh, as Strauss calls him, and then uh, yeah. and then Iguadala. Like these two escape hatches are not escape hatches, they're like the go-to button for every other team in the league. Like that's an amazing fallback option. Definitely. Well, I think out here in the Bay, we call that Iguodala lineup uh, with the All-Stars, the Hamptons 5 lineup. Oh, yes. Kawakami. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, I, that isn't it. That was something that I talked about before uh, Boogie got back. Like, if this doesn't work, the Warriors are going to panic because they do have, you know, Kavon Looney. The, thing, the biggest thing I think that they had to deal with was depth, and I think that they got that in Bogut. But it goes to show that this team is – I mean, it goes to show that they're the best, one of the best teams of all time, if not the best. So – you know, I'm not really surprised at those numbers. Who, if anyone, is going to take them down? If anyone is going to take them down, uh, which team do you think scares them the most or scares you the most uh, for their chances? Can't say the, the cliche themselves, can I? No, you can't. No, like if someone's – look, Logan. All right. Uh, this is my show. Okay. All right, this is the Haber show. Right, Maybe on right. your your podcast or whatever right. whatever you, you want. But on this show, you can't say the Warriors. I want to hear if there is a team that's going to beat the Warriors – because in my opinion, uh, I think it might be Utah. And I said it before the season. Ooh. I said it. I'm saying it now because they've been on a roll. But Utah, uh, I think they have the shooting. I think they have the defense. I think they have the veteran leadership. I think they have the coaching. I think if any team is going to do it, it's the it's the Utah Jazz. And I know a lot of people think this the sexy pick is Houston because you know they've they've um, been three and one against the Warriors this season and. Uh, you know, last year with the playoffs, like if Chris Paul stays, you know, they're going to, they're going to yeah. run them off the floor. But I still think that Utah is pretty scary for this team. And I don't really, I don't think Denver's in that same stratosphere, but what do you think? Like Houston, Utah, yeah. or maybe someone else? Wow. Um, Utah also Joe Ingles just balls out every time he plays against the Warriors that I like, he just, he just can't, he just can't stop making threes. Um, I don't know, man. I do think it'll come out east. I think that I don't know if, if the Warriors are fully the, the biggest caveat that if the Warriors are fully engaged, they can beat everybody, right? Yep. But I think yep. and, I, and I think that that works against Utah because I think if they key in on Utah, I think they could beat Utah uh, fairly and fairly easily. Um, I think it'll come out of the east. I think if I have to guess, it'll be either uh, Toronto. I really like Toronto because you know they beat they beat the Warriors without at home without Kawhi Leonard and beat him pretty badly. And mm. you could say that that was, um, you know, maybe the Warriors disengaged and early in the season blues, but you know, they match up well. They have, you know, real depth. And they have Kawhi Leonard. They have an embarrassment riches over there as well. I think it would even be them or it could be the Bucks with Giannis. My only concern with the Bucks is they haven't been at that stage before. And it's hard to, you know, quantify not being at that stage and just being ready for it all the way. And so, 
I, I do think the Bucks have you know, the tools to beat them, but I think Toronto is uh, one of those teams. Is definitely the team that I look at when I see you know maybe they can knock them off. My column last week is about how momentum is a myth and how Golden State Warriors. Yeah. If you remember last year, they got blown out in Game 82 by the Utah. Um, by the way, uh, <laughs> and then and then like they, yeah. they they stumbled into the playoffs and that didn't mean anything. Like they can flip mm-hmm. that switch, um, but like. Man, I kind of feel like they really, really, more than any team in the league, just want to get this postseason started. And they're making it very hard for the national media to think that this is going to be easy for them because of how feisty they've been with the refs. And you see Steph Curry popping off about the refereeing. Yeah. (laughs) It is so out of character. And this isn't just like a blip. This has been happening for a couple weeks now. Yeah, I actually wrote that wrote about that last night because Kevin got ejected. This is not. It's funny because back in the day, they used to the Warriors used to complain to, about the Clippers being, you know, all demonstrative against the refs, and now they've become that. I think that that's something that Steve doesn't really want. Um, that's something that the the guys are going to have to curtail going into the uh, going into the postseason. I'll say this: I was at the uh, the game in Minnesota after that after the refs, yep. you know influence they came for whatever however you want to call it and i've never seen steph that angry steph cursed like steph doesn't curse steph doesn't do that and he cursed after the game and that was probably the baddest i've ever seen him but that shows you the competitive how competitive he is but that's something they are going to have to curtail that's something that you know they have two guys i believe that have 15 technicals uh with green and durant that's something that they're going to have to they're going to have to get a control of their emotions but you know they have done that um, up until like last year. They were they went along to similar problems of trying to curtail their emotions, trying to um, you know not yell at the refs as much, and you know they wound up rolling in the playoffs. So I think that um, if they can you know go back to last season for influence, they could be all right going into the postseason. So uh, you, I'll let you just say it. You think that the biggest adversary for the Warriors is the Warriors themselves and then right next to that you say Toronto and then maybe Houston maybe Houston only for the simple fact and I talked to uh Kelly Eco of the Athletic all the time about this it's like the Rockets they have a singular focus they have a singular focus on the Warriors Mm. that's who they get up for that's who they care about that's what they want to see and that's who they play their best at but I still don't think that the Warriors, at least in the regular season, just take them serious. Like, I think that they just know, yeah, we won it. We all had home court advantage and we still beat y'all. And I think that that's something that they have, uh, you know, in their resume, the Warriors do. And they, I don't know if they, I mean, I know they take to a certain, on a baseline level, they take every team serious, but I don't know if they take, the, I think they know in their heart of hearts, we can beat this team. We can beat the Rockets. Whereas the Rockets are like, oh, we want to beat them so bad. And the Warriors, you know, the Warriors just, they believe that, oh, man, we'll get them in the playoffs if we play them. It's no big deal. So I don't think that they, the Rockets are necessarily, I don't. I know the Rockets, they care about the Rockets, but I think the Rockets care about them more than they care about the Rockets. Yeah, man, I just think they're going to miss Ariza and Bamute so much in the playoffs. Just the defense you know, the the Rockets right now are at the 20th ranked defense, okay? Like, if the team is going to take down the Warriors, they got to be elite on both ends of the floor. And I think this team, the Rockets, when the scouting reports come out and two-way players matter, 
I just don't see that they have enough in the tank. So I did have one more point about the Rockets. I yeah. do think that the way their offense is set up, the Warriors have found a way to kind of curtail that. Will Kevon Looney be definitely the X factor in that? You saw in the last game uh, up in Houston, like he played really well on um, he played really well on Harden and the pick and roll. And I think that that's something that. I mean, they don't diversify their offense. It's pretty predictable. And the Warriors have a guy that can at least not stop James and Chris, but definitely make it hard for him. So I think that that's an extra, extra thing to do. Logan, thank you so much for joining me on the Haber Show. Uh, best of luck, and I hope you don't draw the ire of cussing Steph Curry for the rest of the season. I, maybe that's a one-time thing. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I will I will try not to. I will try that softly. Thank you, man. I appreciate you, and uh, rest up for the big playoff run, and we'll talk soon, man. All right, thanks, man. All right, it's time to bring in Serena Winters, who is our 76ers insider with NBC Sports. How are you today? I am doing well. Just, uh, I think, looking forward to the postseason like the rest of the Sixers players are. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think the, we're in like the home stretch here, and Joel Embiid is resting on the road. Uh, Jimmy Butler's having, I guess, what seems like back stiffness. Might be just, you know, they're thinking about resting him too and just want to get healthy for the playoffs. And from the outside perspective, Serena, everyone is enamored with this starting five. Outside the Sixers organization, they know how good this team can be if they're healthy. Um, But obviously, they can't play all 48 minutes. So what do you see as the biggest obstacle for this team in the playoffs? Or what are the things they're trying to shore up ahead of their postseason run together? Sure. Well, I think you set it up perfectly there. And that's that health and what happens on the bench is a fair question, right? What the rotation is going to look like. We all know that not just the Sixers, but everyone is enamored with Joel Embiid and what he can do, but he can't play a 48 minute game, right? So then it's okay. If you're going to play Joe 36 to 38 minutes, that means you've got 10 or 12 minutes of those backup Joe minutes. So what's, what are you going to do with those? And I think that maybe one of the, the questions or the hurdles that you'll have to overcome is what is the best course of action for those backup minutes? Is it going to be Jonah Bolden, for example? Is it going to be Boban? Is it going to be putting Ben Simmons at the five? And then what do you do with his spot? How do you rotate there? So I think that they're not being a, you know, a clear, this is what happens with the bench. This is what happens with the rotations. That might be one of the biggest, biggest obstacles. Now, of course, that depends with who they're going to play, who they're going to match up with. You're not going to be, you know, locking in on Boban, for example, for all of those minutes every game. A lot of this stuff is matchup based, and that's going to be a challenge for them to overcome. Well, I think the starting five has surpassed, I think, even my expectations. Serena, in the 161 minutes that they've played together, which is actually a small number, only 10 games that they've appeared, uh, that big five, um, they've outscored opponents by plus 17.6 every 100 possessions. So there is no debate what kind of ceiling this team has. I actually think that if everyone's healthy, the 76ers, they're going to be the team to be in the Eastern Conference because they have the superstar power um, and they have the defensive fortitude. They have offensively, they have a closer in Jimmy Butler and obviously a capable one in Joel Embiid. Do they have enough shooting though? That's my, my big question is, When you go into the playoffs, things slow down and teams have been able to exploit somewhat Ben Simmons in the half court. Where is his jumper right now? And that seems like a roller coaster. You've been probably following it all season. But do you have enough shooting in that in that five man lineup? And is that going to be their their downfall? If anything, you could point to a weakness in that lineup. 
I mean, look, that's, that's been a question all season long and, and I get it. It's a fair question there. We're not going to be seeing, you know, Ben going out and all of a sudden shooting, shooting threes, you know, in the postseason. And that's, that's not what we're going to see. And it is difficult when you know that your opponents are game planning against that. They're matching up against that. Um, that's why you're seeing defenses sag off of him. But I do think that he has gotten more confident and we are seeing him get to the line. And although his free throw percentage is not elite, as we know, mm-hmm. it has been something that he's he's worked a ton on. And we've seen stretches where all of a sudden he's up to, you know, 75% over a 10 game span. And that may not sound you know great to the average listener, but when you are looking at Ben Simmons career and you're looking at what he did last season and this season, those steps, although they might seem small to the outsider, you know, a, a certain percentage point difference, that's huge when it comes postseason time, when, when a lot of times these games are coming down to a couple of possessions or a couple of points here and there. So I think that, from a, from a mentality standpoint for Ben, he, he does seem more confident out there. I'm telling you that he's working on it, and I see him constantly, whether it's with his brother or whether it's with assistant coach Monty Williams, it's clearly something that he's working on, and he's he's definitely made progress. But I can't you know sit here and tell you all of a sudden we're going to see a change in the postseason because it, it, that's just not realistic. And I think people are trying to fast track this, right? Like they, he's they still are, 22 yeah. years old, you know, and, and it's not to say that NBA players shouldn't have a reliable jump shot. Um, but I think it's a work in progress. And even if I, I know 76ers fans want to see this tomorrow to him to have like a reliable jumper, but it's going to take some time. It is. And I think people underestimate how young this guy is and he could still be in college. And on top of that, he's effective in so many different ways. And you look at, you know, he's shooting 56% from the floor right now. And yes, that's not a bunch of jump shots in that mix. But the fact that he's still, you know, he's averaging over 12 shots a game and he's shooting over 56%. That says something right and I think honestly where I see Ben more than more than the jumper that we always talk about I think in the postseason where I see him potentially having the biggest impact because I actually think that it's realistic Tom is defensively Mm -hmm. because there's times where you see Ben has been an elite defender he does things where you go he, he has that in him but it hasn't necessarily been consistent throughout the entire season. If he can take that, those moments of him being an elite defender and bring that all the way to the postseason, I feel like that is where he's going to have the biggest impact. And it's almost like the fact that they don't have a ton of depth behind Joel Embiid, that it almost forces him yes. to get out of his comfort zone and be like, yeah, you're as big as just about every center there is in this league. Like, we need you to uh, not necessarily be a full-time four and five and guard guard power forwards and centers all the time. But man, I remember covering LeBron James in Miami and it is difficult to like change your mentality and think of yourself as a big man, you know, for someone who handles the ball as much as he does, it is a different mentality. But once you become okay and comfortable with the idea of this is about versatility, about a strength, not necessarily that you're going to, you know, change the identity that you're now Carl Malone rather than Magic Johnson. I think that once you get out of your comfort zone and realize that it unlocks so much for your team, like think about Draymond Green and him playing at the five and being a point guard on the other end, that's so huge for them. And if Ben Simmons can do that, that opens up so much for this team. It is. 
is. But I also think, you know, by saying getting out of his comfort zone, I actually think it's very within his comfort zone. And I think that that's actually what makes it a little bit unique. I think that when he's given those opportunities, he thrives in them. He loves them. I think that it's actually I mean, it's all about opportunity, right? Going back to the rotations and matchups and when you see Ben at the yeah. five um, and whether or not, you know, if, if Joe's sitting, right? There's only so many minutes that can go around when you're going to see Ben at the four or the five spot, right? But the minutes that I think that you do see, I think he looks very comfortable in those moments. Um, and it's it's actually when you, when you step back and think about it, you know, because you get so caught up in okay, regular season, we're at what game like 77, something like that now. And you get so caught up in, you know, right now, for example, they, they haven't been playing well, right? There's been, I think, a, the ready for the uh, postseason mentality that we've seen in some of these games. And sometimes you forget, and I think that we'll see it once we hit playoff time, like how unique his, his skill set really is. Like there's not, there's not a, there's not another comp, for example, for Ben Simmons, kind of when you watch him out there and, he has so much room to grow. The, the like, best comp when you look at him Giannis. as a point guard, <laughs> who's going to win the MVP, right? Like the best comp might be the guy. It who's might win be, MVP, right? Yeah, and he's just—I don't even think he's close to tapping in terms of what his ability as a point guard. Like I don't even think he's—he's he's close to that yet. You see it in spurts because he's so talented, but it seems like he's—he's he's kind of growing in, in that. How how difficult must that be, Tom? Like you are you're asked to be a complete like it's not like you're going from a four to a five or from a three to a four or a two to a three. Like you are asked to play completely different positions, mm-hmm. kind of like a chameleon in a way, right? I mean, just what he's been able to do from a versatility standpoint. Yeah, it's incredible. And to segue, the whole roster has been a chameleon, Serena. This is in like the, what the fifth iteration of this team. I feel like is I, it doesn't it seem like years ago that Markel Fultz that the starting Markel Fultz dilemma was was a part of the the national headlines. I cannot even believe that that was in the same season. Honestly, Tom, I cannot. When we talk about when we talk about Fultz, it's it's it does not feel like that is within the same season. It seems like it was years ago. And, and years you, ago, <laughs> you you probably didn't you know prep this season thinking, hey, I'd be covering Jimmy Butler uh, on the 76ers. But what has it been like covering uh, that kind of character? I remember in Charlotte when when the 76ers were in town. I mean, he blasted um, country music, Brett Young's Mercy, and just singing it in the post game shower, just on the you know belting it. And I was like, that can't possibly be Jimmy Butler. And of course, he walks out with his speaker, his handheld speaker, and brings it to his locker room stall and blasts it in the locker room. And I'm just sitting here like, there's no one like this guy in the NBA. And for you, who I think there's 25 different players who have suited up as a 76er and played this season. 25 different players. But what is it like for that one particular player, Jimmy Butler? What have you learned about his personality in the short time that you've been around? Well, I can tell you that the uh, post-game country music is, was not a fluke for the time that you were in that locker room, Tom. That's that's a pretty common occurrence in that post-game locker room. Whether or not they won the game, they lost the game, it, it doesn't really matter. That that stays pretty consistent. Jimmy keeps you on your toes. I think he's he's fun to cover and... He, I think he keeps a lot of people, you know, on their toes. You never really know, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to get with him, but um, he's, he's pretty gracious with his time. And from what I've been around 
he's been he's been fun to cover. It's it's been a good time. What like I get nervous when I uh, ask like Popovich a question because I never know what I'm going to get. There's a certain reliability with certain coaches. You know, if you phrase a question a certain way, you'll get a pretty reliable answer. But I'd imagine asking Jimmy Butler a question, you have to be really, really sharp. You got to keep you on your toes, and <laughs> and I think that you got to listen to what he's going to tell you back because there are also times that I kind of think he plays with you a little bit, oh, right? Yeah. So oh, yeah. he can come back at you, but just listen to what he says. And if it doesn't make sense, you, you can you can call him out on it. Like he's okay with you calling him out on things, which I think is is a good you know a good quality to have because if if you're going to take it, might as well give it back, right? That's right. Honestly, though, it, I haven't had problems with him not answering questions. You know, maybe he'll play with you a little bit on them, but he's generally pretty accessible to ask questions to. And, um, I mean, honestly, he's been, he's been fun. And not, not, you're not his agent or anything. You don't know, you're not him. But do you get the sense that this postseason, how the Sixers do, how, they, how far they go, will have an impact on his decision this summer? Well, like you said, I mean, I can't speak for him, but if I were to put myself in his shoes and, you know, he's at a point in his career where he, I mean, I think he said before, like he doesn't want to play past 35. So with that in mind, it's like, these are a few years where you got to decide where, where it is that you want to be. So I would assume that what happens in the postseason would have an impact on that. Right. I mean, yeah. that's just, wouldn't it have an impact on you? Like if you're being honest and asking yourself that question. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, yeah, it would have an impact, right? And, and the chemistry that you feel and knowing that Joel Embiid is the is the crown jewel, which is the, the phrasing that I'm stealing from Brett Brown or that he's the, the franchise, you know, cornerstone and how all that works out. And of course it does. It has he's to never have an been impact. to the conference finals. So for him, this is like a new opportunity, right? Like this is as high of a ceiling as he he's ever had in his career. Yeah, that's an interesting point and one that I I hadn't really thought about. And now that I'm sitting here thinking about that, yeah, this is this is a big stage for him to show that. And we have already seen this that he's assumed this closer role, right, in yep. the regular season. And it's something that he said he knows. He's he knows when his numbers called. It's something that I thought was interesting. Even Joel Embiid has said he's our closer. You know, and Joe mm-hmm. will then couch that with, you know, obviously a I can do what I'm going to do in the fourth quarter, but to have another closer on the roster and JJ Reddick, because I mean, player after player has said that he's our closer. And that is, that could be, if you think about it, that could be the most important role when it comes postseason time, when we have these games that are on the line is, is who steps up to finish them. You see so many teams struggle in the postseason when you've got a talented team, but you don't have that closer and a team can only go so far in the postseason if you don't have that guy that's willing and ready to step up at that moment. I mean, I remember what was it? A, even like with the Clippers team, for example, I was watching what was it last time that they were their, their last matchup in the playoffs. I remember thinking to myself, like, it just didn't feel like you had that closer like you have Chris Ball who's good but who was the closer on that team and I think that was why you know they struggled you just see that a lot I feel like in the NBA yeah you you, um if you look at the metrics uh, over the last five seasons no one has added more win probability to his team in clutch play than Jimmy Butler and what that means is 
before a possession, you have a certain win probability. And after a possession, there's a change in your win probability of that game. And no one over the last five seasons has improved or nudged their chances of winning more with his field goal attempts and free throws and turnovers than Jimmy Butler. And I think people would be surprised to learn that with, you know, Kyrie and Steph Curry and James Harden. You know, this idea that Jimmy Butler hasn't performed in the big moments and he hasn't been in a finals or a conference finals. Well, the guy has performed in clutch situations. And this season you've seen it with the 76ers and for fans out there uh, rooting for, for Philadelphia, they just want to see it in the postseason and keep some of those bullets for the postseason. So Serena, thanks so much for <laughs> joining me and hang tight for the rest of the season. Can't wait for the playoffs to begin. I'm sure you can't wait either. Can't wait either. Thanks Tom. All right. We have, Chris Forsberg, our NBC Sports Boston insider, knows everything there is to know about the Celtics, including this claim that we have to debate, which is that Al Horford is the most important player for this Boston Celtics team. And I had a big number last week that said Gordon Hayward was the most important Boston Celtics player for their postseason run. And... You know what? Let's just go right into it. Let's claw to the death. Who is more important and why? So I, I don't want to steal your argument because I, I know we, 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 I, I probably saw the big number and I agree. Like in terms of who needs to elevate their play to another level and sustain it to be the most important, Gordon's certainly there. And, and there's no denying that the Celtics have been super good when he's played anything above average. Yes. But to me, like you look at the on-off splits right now, and especially since the all-star break. And I think the Celtics are plus 9.6 with Al on the court and they dive to minus 11.6 without him. And it wasn't always that way. Like Al started pretty slow. That knee was giving him trouble. Uh, and it, it was Kyrie who more dominated those splits. But I mean, right now they just cannot generate any sort of offense when Al's not on the floor, their defense falls apart it's really troubling. And to the point where they're all sitting there sort of wondering how do they avoid these lulls? And there's no easy answer other than play Al Horford 40 minutes, which is daunting on on its own because Brad Stevens doesn't like to play guys big minutes anyway, and especially not a guy with a sore knee. Uh, But for me, it's like, you know, you look at last year's playoff run, as much as we glamorize the kids and and what Tatum and Brown and Rozier did, Al was sort of the glue that held it all together. So, so to me, it's, it's like, it it comes down to like, if they're going to do something, it starts with Al and then everyone else has to pitch him. Obviously I am not Stephen A. Smith or uh, Skip Bayless here. And I don't really think it's a binary (laughs) thing, Gordon or Al Horford, but I do think that there's, uh, you know, the stat that I did for the big number was that, you know, they were 14 and two or something like that when Gordon Hayward scores at least 15. And I really think the stat should be now is that they're 4-0 when he scores at least 20. But the four, the fact that he's only scored 20 points in a Celtics uniform four times. Granted, there's four times that he scored 19. Okay, so it's arbitrary somewhat. But how do they get that Gordon Hayward? Like, how do they, is is it a matter of, hey, Kyrie can't be playing or Jason Tatum has to take a backseat. Like, is it a matter of subtracting roles for other players in order to get that Gordon Hayward? Or is it just confidence? Yeah, I think it's really just confidence and it, it, it's coming on. He's, he's had a little unfortunate rash of, of injuries, like coming out of the all-star break, he was playing really well. And then uh, playing one-on-one against Shemi Ojale, uh as the team was sort of warming up for the second half of the year, he twisted an ankle, obviously the concussion, a few weeks ago, it feels like every time Gordon's got some momentum, there's something that sort of 
chips away at him and, and, and sorts of hit, hit the reset button again. I think it comes down to like, they've liked him on that second unit. Hey, he wears number 20 because of Manu Ginobili and, and wants to, and has embraced being that sort of second unit guy. Uh, a lot of us have been sitting here stomping our feet and saying, Gordon's got to go back to the starting unit because I think, you know, I thought all along that if the Celtics were going to have success, they eventually had to get back to that opening night lineup and, and their most versatile and most skilled lineup. Uh, but what we've seen here in late in the season is that they've actually sort of leaned on the two big lineup with Baines and they like bringing Gordon off the bench and, and seeing what he can give them uh, as a little spark and an energizer and certainly playing against backups has helped him. You know, the number that really resonates for me is, and I know game score is a noisy metric and you don't put too much stock in it, but if, if, you, if, you, if you look on basketball reference and sort it by game score, I want to say there's something like 15 and one. It's very similar, it, 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 but like anytime he's anything better than like a 12 or essentially average. Yep. So if you get anything better than average out of Gordon Hayward, you're probably going to win the game. And so to me, that's just like you said, you need to figure out how to harness that, how to bottle it up. And I think it really just comes down to him going out there and having the confidence in his body. He's been more aggressive going at the rim lately. Like if you can get that Gordon for a sustained stretch and maybe the space of those games in the playoffs will allow that. Uh, that's a really good thing for these Celtics. Are you getting tired of people talking about people like me talking about net rating, like talking about, Hey, nope. like this team is a lot better than their record suggests. So I don't get sick of it because it's the, the, the metrics I love. Uh, I love most. And, and I don't, I don't think we, we pay enough attention to it. Like people want to go default to the, to the points per game. And, uh, you know, we know that's an age old argument, but the one thing I will say about Celtics net rating this season is it's slightly skewed. I think if you went back and looked at the early part of the season, especially like they had a 50 point win in Chicago, it inflated some of those numbers. And I, I wish I could remember who uh, uh, someone on Celtics Twitter went through and kind of plucked out a bit of the outliers. And if you look at that, it sort of brought them back to earth a little bit. True. And yet it's undeniable, undeniable. Like they have still played at a level that, is much better than their record, which is funny because I think last year, if you looked at the numbers, they like were so far ahead of, of, of what they should have been. Um, and this year it's sort of, it, it resolved to the mean. It's, it's just, it, it all evened out. And so uh, part of me says when they play to their abilities and play to their talent level, they're that team that their ratings suggest they are. And yet they haven't done it consistently enough for me to just completely buy into the notion that that's the team that's going to show up in the postseason. I kind of feel like this Celtics season has gone a little bit differently, not a little bit, a lot differently than a lot of people expected. But do you think that it is a package deal with Kyrie Irving? Like if they get, if they go far and Kyrie Irving likes what he sees and he decides to re up, I kind of feel like it's a package deal with Anthony Davis where like everything hinges not everything, but a lot hinges on how deep this postseason goes and Kyrie's feelings about this team and this organization. It hinges a lot with how they do this postseason, and it also hinges a lot on their chances that chances at Anthony Davis. Do do you get that weight in that locker room or that weight as you go into the arena um, that this postseason has a lot on its shoulders? Yeah, for sure. And uh, although I will say, you're asking me to crawl inside the head of. Kyrie Irving and that's like a dangerous dangerous place to go to because I, I honestly do think like no matter what happens in the playoffs there is a chance that he'll just wake up on July 1st and go you know kind of just want to go play with Kevin in New York and you know make that happen or there's a chance that he like you know the Celtics get bounced in the first round and we spend weeks analyzing and saying well he's not going to be back he doesn't want to be here and he just says eh, you know look around the NBA I, I kind of like what I got here so there, there's always a chance that it won't hinge 
And yet, given how maddening this season has been and how much frustration there's been from, you know, all around, from all points of the organization based on, you know, not sort of reaching that burden of expectation, uh, I do think that a lot of how the offseason will play out hinges on this on the Celtics success. Like it's hard for me to say that whether it's Kyrie or, or how Danny Ainge approaches the offseason, if they get bounced in round one by Indy, I don't see a way that they just say, all right, well, let's just run it back. Because yep. honestly, they tried that for 82 games this year and it didn't work. And so nothing about that, even no matter how much you think Gordon Hayward's going to step forward, no matter how much you think the young guys might eventually develop, uh, leads me to believe that that's going to happen. I think the more likely scenario is the earlier they get bounced, the more aggressive they're going to have to be in that Anthony Davis pursuit. Uh, but ultimately, like Danny Ainge is wild. Like if he just thinks he can go get a top five guy, like even if they got to back to the end to the the, the game seven of the East Finals, uh, there's a chance he'll make that move. Just yeah. thinking that it's the best chance uh, for them. And so a, a lot of wild cards here. Like I mean, maybe there's a chance where they look up and they just go, you know, this Kyrie thing didn't go the way we expected. And I think that's the, like the most unlikely of the scenarios. But it's certainly one that, based on how this season played out, that you just can't necessarily rule out a lot of interesting decisions for the Celtics, uh, depending on how it all goes. Well, let's let's talk about this scenario. You brought it up is if they don't go deep in the playoffs, if the Pacers bounce them in a catastrophic series for for Boston, Kyrie Irving leaves and decides to take his talents to Madison Square Garden. In this scenario. What do the Celtics do? Do they run it back and say, look, Gordon Hayward is back. We got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. The picks that we thought were going to be top 10 really valuable picks didn't turn out that way. Let's just roll with this team. Or do they say it's time to blow it up? You know, I wonder. I think what would happen in that scenario is they are aggressive with New Orleans trying to make an Anthony Davis trade. But maybe they're not as apt to throw Jason Tatum in that deal. And listen, that might be a deal breaker. That might be yep. that, that deal just never gets off the ground. But, you know, I think they're hopeful that Jalen Brown shows really well this postseason that, you know, you can convince New Orleans that there's no other deal out there. And with all these picks, as much as they're not as glitzy as you might have thought they were going to be, that there's still a better package overall than what the Lakers or whatever mystery team jumps in here. But I do think it's going to get more difficult this summer. I just think, you know, expectations change. Teams decide, hey, I'm more willing to put risk out there to go get a player like Anthony Davis. And so I think it's going to be harder for Boston to get uh, him without putting – Tatum and I've, I've been on the deal that Tatum and Brown are probably going to both have to be in there uh, to make that deal possible. So, you know, do you really want to run the risk of trading for AD without Kyrie, without, you know, now you don't have your young core uh, for what might be a one year rental? Mm. And so, uh, again, Danny Ainge is crazy. So there's always the chance that happens. And yet, I don't know. I th- and that's why I think just the earlier they get bounced, the more. You know, the more noise that happens to this offseason, because all of a sudden there's a pressure to, to make moves and shake this thing up and figure it out. And, and like Kyrie's more likely to, to be looking for greener pastures. And, you know, they're more likely to probably feel like they need to make a move. And yet, I don't know if there's any obvious way to go that, that, that makes the most sense. Uh, I wonder if at that point they would be more likely to just ride it out you know, wait for that Grizzlies pick to convey, and maybe that's a gem down the road, and wait to see who's next on the availability heap. 
Um, maybe start exploring the notion of, you know, moving on from Al Horford, even though the way he's played, you don't want to do that. But, you know, maybe that's the way to get back to max cap space eventually by if Kyrie were to leave and, and, and Al move on. And so uh, a, a lot of different avenues to go. It's just it, it's, it's startling to me that, like, this is where the conversation is now. Because you think about a year ago, we're sitting here going, oh, something's going to roll in the LeBron LeCis and they get all these assets and there's going to be a juggernaut for years. It's so crazy how quickly it flipped to wow, this thing could fall apart real quick. And I actually had an executive the other day say, I hear that the Celtics supporting cast outside of Kyrie don't even like Kyrie. And they don't, like, why would the Celtics want to re-up for a long time with Kyrie if he is um, that polarizing as a, as a leader? He's tw- Look, he's 27 years old. This idea that he has to be this old sage, I think that's that, that's a, a uh, an overstated notion. But I do wonder if... Danny Ainge looks at this situation and says, you know, if these, if this supporting cast, if Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward, if it doesn't work with Kyrie, can I really re up at the max with a guy who's had knee, knee problems? And then you're asking yourself, wait, are we really debating the merits of giving Kyrie Irving a long-term max contract in Boston? Where do you fall on that? Like, is there a chance that the Celtics are like, you know what? The headaches that we've had this season, it's not worth our trouble. I think there's always the chance, and yet I think in the NBA, talent always always wins out. And I think you look at what Kyrie can do, and you just dream about the about the way you could put talent around him. And 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 it's probably more likely that you keep Kyrie and figure out the supporting cast than say our supporting cast. He's not getting the most out of our supporting cast. And so whether that's fair or not, uh, I don't know. Uh, certainly, you know, I thought it was really telling when Terry Rozier came out this year and kind of told us like, listen, like our team goes as Kyrie goes. And if he's in a mood, like all of a sudden they just don't play to their, their potential. And like, it's jarring to hear a team say that, like no one's performance should hinge on the mood of one player, including the probably the one of the guys who's the most mercurial in, in the NBA. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's certainly something that has to go into their thinking. Listen, they knew it wasn't a guarantee, but like, they're like, all right, like, listen, we thought we were going to have to convince this guy to stay. Now he wants to be here. I wonder if, if over the course of this season, if that decision has become a little bit more difficult where they're like, all right, now we kind of understand what Cleveland was saying, you know, like that this guy can be difficult and that he, he can be moody. And so that all factors into how aggressive has to be and whether he can just suck it up and say all right i don't care let's talent wins let's get anthony davis we got Kyrie. let's roll with this or if, it, if, if he has to be more uh forward thinking and say all right let's ride it with the with the young core it's just there's just no obvious answer for this team is Kyrie difficult for you as a reporter getting a read on him and his mood like does it make your job a little bit tougher yeah, for sure. I think like anybody, you try not to let it impact the way you write about him and cover him because like, let's face it in this business, it, it doesn't matter if that person gives you the access you want or desire. You you know, you need to be able to find different ways to tell that story. But certainly like I can tell you, I, I can count on one hand, the number of one-on-ones he's done this year. He's been very good about talking after most games, but if you try to get him at a morning shoot around or, you know, there've been times where he'll just kind of stomp off and say he's not doing it today. Uh, and certainly there was that stretch from early February when the, the, the reports about his future started coming out yeah. where until probably the, the much publicized plane ride where it was a little bit of kumbaya for a couple of weeks where he was just really difficult to deal with. And like, again, that, that was the scouting report when he came here that the, all the Cleveland reporters sort of, you know, looked at us and laughed and said, you know, good luck. And we didn't see it that first year. And then now we're seeing it and, and Hey, I get it. Like, you know, there are times where he just doesn't want it. I, I just think, 
you know, he's also such a fascinating character because of it. And, he, he, and while he's a, a bit of a contradiction at times, like literally during the game the other day, they run this, this segment where they ask the players to name their favorite reality show. And he's like, no, I, I, I hate reality TV. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that. I'm, I'm not answering that question. And then like second quarter comes around and the ball goes out of bounds or he goes foul going to the basket and Pauly D of the Jersey shores on the baseline. And, and Kyrie actually goes out of his way to go dap him up and his later <laughs> photograph at, at a nightclub with him in Boston. And I'm thinking this guy, like, you know, this is all just part of the package. And, uh, you know, that, I, 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 how, how does that impact us covering him? It's just hard. It's like, you want to know more. And there's this guard that's up about him. You probably saw the clip. You walked into the, to the garden one night. And he said, like, I, I can't wait for all this to be done. I don't want to deal with these cameras anymore. It's just, you know, and that's the guy who was in a movie last year. So I don't know. It, it, it's, he's a fascinating person to cover. And yet you yearn to know more and more. And sometimes that aspect of it is hard to, to, to pry out of him. What does success look like for the Celtics this postseason? Uh, I don't know if we readjusted based on the, the, the failings of the regular season. I think you could convince me that they could get to – you know, it's hard for me to say that anything less than getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals is a success. Um, I don't know if getting bounced in a tough series against Milwaukee in round two does anything for yeah. the Celtics. I don't know if even being competitive in the East Finals is enough after where you were last year. Um, ultimately, I think you have to see glimpses of the team that we expected. Like, if, if they go out there and lose because Giannis is the best player on the court or because the Raptors just go to another level and Kawhi is great, like, okay, maybe you can justify it. But ultimately, like this team was supposed to be in the finals. They have all the necessary talent. They haven't put it together. And it just feels like they need to get there in order to justify it all. And you know, I thought Marcus Morris was great the other night. He's sitting there saying, hey, hey, maybe this is a 30 for 30 10 years from now. Like the most dysfunctional, terrible regular season from a group that was way more talented than it ever showed. And they put it together in the regular season. Or maybe it goes the other way. And it's just a team that just never put it together. And why couldn't they ever figure it out? Uh, or why couldn't Brad Stevens figure this thing out? And so uh, it could go either way. People ask me all the time, what do, what, what do you think happens? And I said, listen, they get bouncing around one, and I wouldn't be surprised based on what I've seen, and they could go to the finals, and I'd be like, all right, well, they figured it out. And so uh, I do think they're going to be a fascinating team to watch, but success probably uh, needs them to get to the finals. I think it's refreshing to hear someone like you who knows as much about this team as anybody still not have a real good grasp over them. Cause it's reassuring from the outside watching being like, you know, I hear this about the team. I hear that about the team. And you know what? It is all over the place. You know, at one hand you think that they're going to be in the finals because look, Milwaukee's hurting. They've got injuries up and down the roster and they're not going to be a hundred percent in Philly. They don't have much of a bench. Uh, Indiana, can you really trust that team? And then you convince yourself like, yeah, the Celtics can do this. And, and Toronto, who knows what Kawhi is going to do. And yeah. then it was like, you know, I fall back into this, like, wait a minute, Boston. Am I really selling myself on Boston? And I look at the net rating. They have the fifth best net net rating in the NBA, and for a while they were the third best net rating. They're killing teams overall on the season, and I just don't know what to expect. You know what? That's good for drama. That's good for uh, reality TV. Sorry, Kyrie, but the reality TV <laughs> of your season is probably the best show in the NBA. So, Chris, can't wait to see you on the road this season. Uh, looking forward to the playoffs. I know you're getting antsy to go uh, cover the playoffs, but uh, thanks for joining me on the Haber Show, and be well, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Let's hope this team is uh, – let's hope the reality show is good to watch this postseason. 
All right, let's bring in now our NBC Sports Northwest Blazers insider reporter. Her name is Jamie Hudson. How's it going, Jamie? Hey, it's going good. How about you, Tom? I'm doing well. I hope you're healthy. I know the uh, the Blazers have had a little rough patch here with the injury bug lately, and it uh, it's been quite a wild season just from afar looking on because you start the season with Paul Allen's passing, and then you go uh, for a full season. It seems pretty smooth. And then, of course, the C.J. McCollum knee injury and then the Nurk injury. It seems like a very resilient team. Uh, but what is the vibe you're getting around the team now that they're fighting for a top four seed amid all these injuries? It seems like everyone's falling apart. I know, Tom. It's been an emotional roller coaster. That is for sure this season. But I got to say, right now, now that we've had almost a week, I guess it has been a week since Yusuf Nurkic went out with that season-ending injury, the team has really rallied together. And of course, it's with Damian Lillard's leadership. But this team, I think they have the mindset of, okay, now we're going to go out and win for Nurkic and come together. I mean, I've been covering this team, Tom, since Damian Lillard's rookie season. And i got to say, right now, the team ball, I don't think I've ever seen it as much as it, it is right now. Like The Blazer ball movement is a beautiful thing, and that's how they have been able to stick together and still continue to win even without Nurkic and CJ McCollum right now. It's amazing, Jamie, because I never thought that Dame had this gear in him. I mean, he's mm-hmm. been as consistent mm-hmm. six assists a game as you'll find in the yeah. league. He's like clockwork. He's a metronome uh-huh. here in Portland. And I kind of feel like he's elevated his game. I did a big number recently that just demonstrating how uh, the chemistry with him and Nurk. I mean, the Dame-Nurk connection was unbelievable this season. The second most assists uh, between them of any tandem in the league. And then he's only kept going? Isn't that remarkable? Like, I thought that this, you know, was a just something about Nurk and him and the chemistry. But um, he's picked it right where he left off with Nurk with Ennis Cantor. And, of course, uh, you see Evan Turner with a triple-double. And everyone seems to be stepping up at the right time. But Dame doing more of the heavy lifting than I can remember him doing. Oh, I completely agree. And I think a lot of it has to do with how much they learned from the playoffs last season. After getting swept by the Pelicans, of course, New Orleans had to figure it out. They knew he had to be dialed in on both Lillard and McCollum. And I think with so much thinking about what they needed to do differently, Damian Lillard has said, okay, now I've got to distribute. And that's what he's doing. And he has more weapons. Like you said, Tom, people are stepping up, whether it's Seth Curry or Rodney Hood. And Alfred Camus has stepped up his three-point shooting and his ball handling. So Lillard, I think, feels more confident and trusts his teammates even more so than he had in the past. And so now they've got this full, like, everyone's a threat. And Blazers head coach Terry Stotts has always given the green light to anyone, and I think they're embracing that right now. And it's been really fun to watch. It really has. Why do they have the best offense since the All-Star break? And by a wide margin, too. I know. That's crazy. I think everyone's bought into what Damian Lillard's been preaching, and he's been preaching collective effort. Uh, even more so now with two starters out. But even after, right after the All-Star break, they brought in Cantor, and Cantor is that guy that we know can bring some offense. 
and Tom, this team was very, very excited to have a teammate like Cantor. I mean, the chemistry, the I should say the instant chemistry between Cantor and the whole team uh, was very impressive. And even Cantor said he's felt like he's been here forever. And he said Damian Lillard makes it easy on offense, and that's for sure. It, it all begins with Lillard. And the way he's playing right now, not only distributing the ball, but like you said, he's got that extra gear. I mean, he is taking it hard to the rim, and he's finishing a lot more, I feel like, this season too. And he's been so patient on offense too. Yeah, he has. And I, I love seeing this from guys like Dame who you kind of feel like you know them as players, and then they have this <laughs> extra gear that they, they pull out like a rabbit out of a hat, and it's like, whoa, what? Um, right. but. But I do, I do worry about CJ's injury and what that means yeah. for the playoff run. So what's the latest there, and uh, what can you tell us about the injury itself and what it means for his game going forward? Yeah, that's a, he's been rehabbing twice a day. He's been saying that, and I know that the team has said he's progressing. I think a lot of fans are worried because there hasn't been any kind of timetable set for his return. But the Blazers as an organization, they like to kind of keep that to themselves. So I'm not too concerned that there hasn't been an actual, hey, this is when he's expecting to get back on the court. There's no indication um, that there's a setback or anything. It's just they're taking their time. No, exactly. And Lillard himself has said, hey, we want McCollum to get completely healthy. So let's wait until the postseason. So honestly, what we're feeling right now is that McCollum won't be back in the regular season. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, well, but he needs to shake off the rust. And, and you know, they're worried that if he comes back in the postseason, there might be some kinks there. But really, I look at it and think, okay, you don't want any kind of setback. So if you rush him back, and knees are always scary, especially here in Portland. <laughs> so I think just give it as much time as you need. Um, it does really sound like he will be back in the postseason. But then the other worry is, well, now no Nurkic. So are you going to make as much noise in the playoffs as, with, as you would have with Nurk? No. So do you bring McCollum back if he's not, you know, closer to 100%? Uh, I don't know. There might be, you know, talks of that. But we haven't heard anything like that. It's just something kind of been thinking about. Yeah, and I wonder what the expectations now are there within the team. How has mm -hmm. the, the tone of how they talk about this season and what what success looks like, how has that changed since right. um, CJ and Nurk's injury? It hasn't changed all that much because they're still, as a team, really confident and feeling like they can, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. And honestly, Tom, if they can get to that three seed, which they're obviously battling with Houston right now, and the Clippers can stay in that sixth spot, that Clippers-Blazers, you know, I think that would be a interesting yep. matchup. I think that the Blazers can still get the win even if they don't have um, – I mean, obviously they won't have Nerf, but I would think they would have CJ back. So I think then that way you don't have to play the Warriors in the second round. That's where you want to be. And I know the players are probably thinking that as well, like get to that third seed and then you never know what can happen. Um, but – Honestly, with Lillard, you can't count this team out. So I don't think that as a team they're thinking, "Oh, okay, well we're and now we're not going to do anything in the playoffs." But obviously, with Nurkic, that was such a dagger because he was having the best season of his career, and it was so fun to watch the two-man game between him and Damon. So it's definitely changed a lot of fans' 
feelings about it with, with no NERC. What was the locker room like after that, the injury? I'd never experienced anything like that. That was the first game where I had personally been covering a game where a stretcher came out on the floor and the locker room was the most somber I'd ever seen it. I mean, you would have thought that they lost or got swept in the finals. I mean, it was, it, uh, and, and rightfully so, that was their, their big man, their guy who was giving all that he got uh, or had this season. So that's, um, that was a tough locker room. And it, it started with how they were feeling in that moment for Nurk and not, you know, thinking about, oh, as a team, now this sucks. It was more like for him as a person mm. and how incredibly awful that was to see that type of injury just for a friend, you know, a teammate and a friend. Um, yeah, that, that was a, a really tough locker room to be in that night. And like I could see Dame and Nurk having a buddy cop show. I don't think people expected <laughs> them to be uh, close right. friends, but what's something mm-hmm. that outsiders wouldn't know about that friendship and Nurk means to Dame? It was really cute. And after the game where Nurk went out, Damian Miller talked about how much of an impact Nurk has had on his life and his son's life, Dame Jr., who just recently turned one years old. Apparently, there's many times that Nurk has drove over to Dame's house just to see Dame Jr. You know, <laughs> wants to see his son. And it is really cool, the relationship that those two have, because I think it really helps that Dame looks at Nurk as he's my little brother and I want to help him. And, and something that Lillard has really tried to help Nurk with is Nurkage's emotion, because he is a passionate player. And there's been times, whether it was, getting a foul called on him or something that Nurk didn't like what the officials were, were, were uh, calling and, and Dame is right there to, to calm him down. And I think that Dame's really taking Nurk under his wing and he likes to call him his big little brother and their relationship is pretty special. Does the injury change the long-term trajectory of this team? I know that Dame and CJ are locked up <laughs> for the next couple of years, but uh, has expectations long-term changed for this, uh, for this franchise? I don't think so. I know there's been so much talk of, hey, okay, now this is a step back, but Nurk's going to come back stronger. And I know because of Lillard and how he has really made sure to let everyone know that, hey, he's in it. He's loyal to this organization. I think it, it really doesn't change much. I mean, yes, it's a setback this next year, but yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. And especially you think about now that they brought in Cantor and, and Rodney Hood's really stepped up. Um, the fact that you have those two starting in the last couple of games, that's been able to keep the rotation intact, which is what Blazers head coach Terry Stotts wants. He it's, hates it's amazing. switching up his rotation. It's amazing yeah. how stubborn coaches are about that. Like <laughs> right? They will do anything yep. but to screw up the second unit. Like make sure yeah. the same uh, rotation stays in place and they'll take the third string mm-hmm. guy and insert him into the starting lineup just so they don't screw up the second string guy. Oh yes. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> I really think they've turned, not that they weren't offensively focused before, but I, th- I feel like mm-hmm. with the injuries, they're almost have, you know, shed this burden of having been swept in the last two postseasons in the first round and feel like, you know what? They're playing with house money at this point, and it really shows in the game. I mean, they 
They got two mm-hmm. matchups here against Denver. That that's going to be fascinating because if they do have that three seed uh, matchup against the Clippers, they could see the Denver Nuggets in the second round, and then mm-hmm. before we know it, they could be in the Western Conference Finals. That's a realistic path for them. Do you get the sense that they they feel like they're playing with house money? That they've embraced this adversity? That they they're not burdened by the the expectations going into the playoffs here, the stretch run. Yeah, I do feel like that because this team is playing real loose. I mean, besides the injuries, I feel like every time I'm in a post game locker room after a victory, you know, there's they're joking. Then and there's there's so much team chemistry that is, I think, very undervalued with this team. They get along so well on and off the court and. I mean, for instance, like Evan Turner getting that triple-double the other <laughs> night, Tom, and the bench's reaction, it was awesome. The bench just exploded. And the fact that E.T. can joke about, hey, I've done something Damian Lillard hasn't, and Lillard jokes back with, all right, now i got to go chase me a triple-double. They, This team really gets along, and I think, yeah, they're loose, having fun, and hell, why not right now? That's, that's help, helping them play really well. It's amazing. I mean, yeah. who would have thought that like the the vibe around the team would be the would be this upbeat after the the uh, the curveballs they've been thrown this season? And uh, it's pretty cool to see. So, Jamie, thank you so much for joining me on the Haber Show podcast, and looking forward to your coverage going forward with the uh, with the playoffs here. And I hope for your sake, your playoff run is a little longer this year with the, with the Blazers. And I know uh, I know they're playing their tails off right now. So best of luck the rest of the way. And thanks again for joining me. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Haber Show. I want to thank all of those reporters for joining me on The Haber Show. Uh, again, the names, Logan Murdoch for the Warriors, Serena Winters on the Sixers, Chris Forsberg on the Celtics, and Jamie Hudson on the Blazers. My team's app is awesome because if you live in those markets, you can stream on your phone the games. It's pretty cool. Download the My Team's app, subscribe to this podcast, don't just listen to it, and also, please tell your friends about it. Until next time on The Haber Show.